if you would, I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me uh, to Jonah uh, chapter 1. We've been in this series, Unbroken, now for a couple of months. And and what's probably been evident to many is that the scriptures that we have been looking at are many of the familiar Old Testament passages. And hopefully what you've seen is that all that is recorded for us in the pages of scripture has a greater purpose than what just happened in the moment. I hope you've noticed that it's also pointed us to God's greater plan in the world. Likewise, today, we're going to look at a familiar part of Scripture, but maybe you missed the fullness of the text. In fact, if I were to say to you, Jonah, what is the next word that comes to mind? All right. Well, right? Or or let's be more true to the Scripture, big fish, right? Because that's what the Scripture says. It always says, well, but the Scripture really says a big fish. We, we see, you see that and, and look at it, and from childhood we've heard how Jonah was swallowed by a big fish and then was thrown up after three days. We're intrigued by these events because we are amazed that someone could even be inside a fish for three days and still live. But if I were to ask you, what is the purpose of God having Jonah's life recorded for us? Can you tell me what the purpose is? Some may say, well, actually, I cannot. I mean, it just seems like a real neat story. But folks, Jonah's life is recorded because it shows us something very important. It shows us that God is on a mission. You see, what we might have a tendency to do in reading about Jonah is miss the most important figure in this event. We might have a tendency to miss God. Through much of what is happening, though though, though all that happens here really centers around Jonah's life, the real lesson is about God. And we must be sure to read the text and see what God is up to. If you don't focus on God, then our focus is on the wrong thing. You see, Jonah is nothing without God. The big fish doesn't even exist without God. God truly is the central figure in what is going on. And what we'll see is that God is on a mission to save people. And as we look at God's mission as revealed here in Jonah, we'll also see this, that God sends a messenger. Look at how the book of Jonah starts. It says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Mattai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. It starts with a very matter of factly that God went to Jonah and said, arise and go to Nineveh. Now, for those not familiar with the background, you might read those verses and not be overly impressed. However, when you begin to look at what God is asking Jonah to do, then the force of this text becomes greater. We get a small hint of how important God's actions are here when we see God sending Jonah to Nineveh because their evil had come up to him. In other words, their evil was great. There's not a specific description given here in the text of what their evil was, but the Ninevites were first known to worship false gods, but then beyond that, they were particularly known for being being very cruel to captives when they would conquer other nations. In chapter 3, the king of Nineveh himself even acknowledges their wickedness and violence. It is so important that we make note of their wickedness because we are reminded that God's love extends to all people. God created all people, God loves all people, and God wants to reach all people. In fact, in 2 Peter 3, 9, we're told that God doesn't want any to perish but all to come to repentance. God wants all people to know him and the forgiveness that he offers. He even wants people that that we look at as cruel and evil to come to know him and to change their ways. And because God cares so much about his people, he is continually sending messengers to those who need to know him. 
It is why some of Jesus' last words to his disciples were, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. God is still sending messengers, and he wants us to be these messengers. It could be a messenger to a foreign land. It could be a messenger to a neighbor across the street, a messenger to a coworker down the hall, a messenger to a teammate, or many other people and places. But God is still sending messengers in the hopes of reaching people with his love. Now, unfortunately, as God seeks to send messengers, at times the messengers are not always that willing to go. Let me ask you, have you ever been reluctant to talk to a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, a classmate, a stranger about God's love? Have you ever been reluctant? We probably should go ahead and shake our head yes, right? I won't make you raise your hand, but it often is us. And it's not just us that reluctant. It was also Jonah. In the next verse, this is what we read. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Though God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, we see Jonah actually tried to avoid going to Nineveh. What I even find very funny about Jonah's attempts is that the scripture describes it well by saying Jonah tried to flee from the presence of the Lord. Like that's even possible, right? I mean, like somehow Jonah was thinking, if I make it to Tarshish, God wouldn't find him there. I'll tell you what, this is a little bit reminiscent of. It's a little bit reminiscent of Adam and Eve walking in the garden after they sinned. You remember that? After they had sinned, God came walking in the garden to find them. And what were they doing? They were hiding as if, listen, they could hide from God. Here's what Adam and Eve found. Adam and Eve found it's an impossible task to hide from God. We will see in a moment that Jonah found that it's an impossible task to hide from God. And let me go ahead and inform you that if you try to hide from God, it will be an impossible task for you as well. All right, if you think avoiding Christian fans or avoiding church or avoiding family will keep you away from God, just know there's nowhere that you can go away from God. He will always find you. In fact, as Jonah attempts to flee from God, we will see that not only does God send a messenger, but God refines a messenger. The next part of Jonah's life is the part we are most familiar with. It is God working to get Jonah back on track. We can read about Jonah being on the boat asleep when a, a strong storm arises, and the experienced seamen who are piloting the ship begin to fear for their life. They even throw their cargo overboard and attempt to keep the boat afloat. And you know if they're throwing their cargo overboard, the most precious thing to them on the ship, you know, right, you know it's a desperate situation. Isn't it interesting, though, that these pagan seamen at this point are more righteous than Jonah? who was sent by God with an important message. It's interesting to me that they're more righteous. When you look at that, because the seamen, what do they do? They cry out. They tell Jonah, cry out to your God, all right, in hopes that he will save them. It's interesting when I look at that, it reminds me somewhat of secular artists who give glory to God for their success when many Christians fail to give God praise for what he has done in their lives. Maybe not exactly the same, but when Jonah was seeking to run from God, these pagan sailors wanted Jonah to cry out to God. We know eventually that everything leads to these sailors reluctantly at Jonah's urging, throwing him overboard. Jonah made it plain if they threw him overboard that the sea would calm and everyone would be okay. That is, except him, he thought. And so these sailors throw him overboard and prove themselves again more faithful than Jonah because they asked God to forgive them for throwing Jonah overboard and even worshiped him after the seas had calmed. But here's what we read at the chapter one after Jonah has been tossed to sea. It says, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now that verse probably summarizes what most people know about Jonah, simply that he was swallowed by a big fish. 
The important part of what happens here is not him being swallowed. The important part is what happens while he is in the belly of that fish for three days. You see, for three days, Jonah had an opportunity to evaluate his life. I mean, I guess if any of us were trapped in the belly of fish, we'd probably do a little evaluating of our life as well, right? I mean, we might look back and we probably have a few regrets for things we didn't get done. We might do a little praying even for a miracle because without a miracle, we assume we're going to die, right? We'd probably do our own little soul searching in the belly of the fish. Well, in chapter 2 of Jonah, it records Jonah's prayer as he finds himself in this desperate moment. So look at chapter 2, verse 2. It says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, he cried, and you heard my voice. Now, that might seem simple, but the first thing we see here is Jonah crying out to God. Now, why is that so important? Listen, just a short time earlier, Jonah was running from God. He was trying to get away from the presence of God, and now he's crying out to God. Hear me when I say this. Sometimes our biggest step in life is simply to acknowledge, again, God and that we need him. All right? When we have turned our backs on him, it's no little step to turn back. But we see Jonah here crying out to God, a big step. Then we see where Jonah acknowledges that God has heard his voice, that even in the belly of the fish that God heard his cry. If we then look at what Jonah said in verses 7 through 9, we see these words. He says, when my life was fainting away, I remember the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. You see, Jonah makes some great statements here. He recognized that when a person turns from God to false idols, that they forsake their hope of his steadfast love. Jonah in this moment was recognizing his need for God. Jonah was recognizing for, that, for him to turn away from God and to run was to turn away from the one who offered him true, steadfast love. I'm sure even God's love meant something more in this moment since Jonah had turned his back on him. You see, our love is often so fickle, is it not? We love one moment and don't love the next. But the good thing about God is this, that he is not fickle. Though people are fickle in their love, God is not. God's love is steadfast. And in this moment, Jonah was thankful that God hadn't stopped loving him because he had sought and hide. And we too all need to be thankful for God's steadfast love. Now, after Jonah speaks of God's steadfast love, we see him respond by worshiping God. He said, with a voice of thanksgiving, we would sacrifice to God. And then he says, what I have vowed, I will pay. Now, there may be some debate about what he meant by that statement, but as you read all of Jonah, it seems most likely that this was Jonah committing to carry out his role as a prophet, that he's now going to go and do what God had asked him to do. Interesting that now he makes this statement when he is seemingly in the belly of a fish dying. It makes sense, however, that we see in this statement Jonah committing to carry out his duties as a prophet because very shortly we will read that that, that is exactly what Jonah does. Now, as we consider Jonah's experience in the belly of the fish, we are reminded that God often has to do a work in the life of a messenger before that messenger can fulfill the task that God has given. Jonah first needed to understand that he needed God's salvation before he could go and share that salvation with the Ninevites. If God needed to get Jonah in the belly of a fish for him to realize, to do that, and for God to prepare him, God was ready. God had already had a fish prepared for Jonah being on the run. Every one of us, in fact, needs to pause and ask this. Do do I really understand my need for God's salvation? Some may find it a little easier than others, but most of us have a hard time truly understanding our need for God's salvation. Our general assessment of our lives is, I'm pretty good. Isn't that true? At least this, I'm pretty good compared to other people. 
That's where we find ourselves, all right? Most of us have a hard time recognizing our need for God's salvation in our lives because we've been raised with a certain standard of what's right and wrong, and we fail to truly realize that the standard is God, a standard that we all fall short of. Maybe to help you understand what I'm talking about, just think about the language that people use. Some people use profanity and think nothing about it. Why? Because they grew up in a home or environment that certain words were normal. So they use those words as commonplace and have a hard time accepting them as wrong. Then there are those like my kids who grew up in a home where the words shut up were considered unacceptable, all right? The point I'm trying to make is simply this. We often get our sense of right and wrong from those around us and many times fail to look to God for right and wrong. And because of that, we often see ourselves as right, all right, and look at others as being wrong. We become the standard and not God. When we set our own standards, we fail to see our need for God's grace while still seeing others' needs for God's grace. We at least see others' need for punishment. You see, for Jonah, what was really happening here was he was placing himself over God. To Jonah, the Ninevites didn't deserve God's love. He thought they deserved punishment, so he, he didn't want to take a message of God's love to them. Instead, he was going to run away. And what God showed Jonah was, uh, uh, is that he needed to recognize his need for God's love, his need for grace, and that it was just as great as the ones that he was deeming unworthy. See, we need to understand our need for God's grace, so first we'd be willing to go and share that grace with others. Because if, 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 if we don't do that, if we don't recognize our need, we're never going to go share and folks, if God has to give us our own belly of the fish experience to realize this, I'm going to tell you he will. God will work to refine our lives if necessary to get us to do his will. This refining is what God was doing with Jonah so that Jonah would be ready to carry out his plan. Now, after Jonah was re refined and had this refining moment with God, when he confesses and declares his intent to keep his vow to God, we see where the fish vomits up Jonah on dry land and then Jonah gets to go to Nineveh as God commanded. We see in verse 4, Jonah's message. Look at it in chapter 3. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, looking at Jonah's message, some of you probably wish that I was more like Jonah. Very concise and to the point, right? Give it about one or two sentences. That's all I need, and we can stop, right? Uh, Y'all can go ahead and laugh, chuckle, whatever. I, I understand that. I know I can get long-winded sometimes. Jonah gave a very short message. Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. This wasn't a long or wordy sermon. It wasn't even a creative message or an eloquent message. It was simply a short message from God. And I'm sure if we stopped here to do a critique of Jonah's message, the grade wouldn't be very good. In fact, for those of you who have ever been in a public speaking class, you tell me, what do you think the assessment of Jonah's uh, message here would be? Would it, would it be an A plus? Would it be an A plus? It'd probably be an F, right? The professor would look back and say, well, you need a little better introduction, all right? And you need to give a little, a little more creative illustration in the middle. And by the way, you need a few more points, all right? One point's not going to get it. We need at least three points in a poem, right? You got to do something like this. You got to get it. And so we'd probably look and we'd consider, could criticize Jonah's message and say, man, this thing fell way short. But what was the result? Was Jonah's message to the people effective? Well, let's read the next verse. It says in verse 5, and the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. 
what we see is that the people respond with repentance. Not only that, if we were to read a little further, we see where the king joins in. And the king makes a powerful decree. Look at verses 8 and 9. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hand. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. In others, we see here in the text a clear reaction of repentance by the people and the king. As we consider Jonah's words and the response of the people, here's what we're reminded of, that God also empowers a messenger. The power of Jonah's message was not in the eloquence of his words, but it was in the power of the God standing behind those words. This reminds me of the promise from God in Isaiah 55, 11. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the things for which I sent. You see, for a messenger of God, there is great comfort in what we see in Jonah's life and in what we see in the promise in Isaiah. The great comfort is knowing that if you share God's word, then you can rest knowing that the results are not in your hands. You can know that even if your message wasn't the most creative, wasn't the most eloquent, maybe even in your mind fell flat that day, that God can still use his words in powerful ways. I think back through the years about Billy Graham. Billy Graham, he consistently used a simple message that proclaimed that people had a sin problem, but that God had sent the answer to that problem, the Savior, Jesus Christ. He consistently proclaimed that if people confessed their sin and placed their faith in Jesus Christ, that God would forgive their sin and give them the gift of eternal life. He consistently let people know that God through Jesus could truly give them a new life. In response to his consistent, simple message, people by the thousands would respond. But Billy Graham also knew this, that the results of his gospel crusades were dependent upon people praying for God to move. He knew without a doubt that the power behind what was going to happen was not, was not himself, but it was God. It was God moving in a mighty way. Graham knew that he had no power on his own. This truth is why Jesus in the Great Commission before sending out his disciples, reminded them of this, that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He then promised his disciples that he would be with them always to the end of the earth. This truth is something that we all must remember. When we seek to share God's truth with those we know and love, we must remember that the power is in God and not in us. God can empower us to speak for him, but it is his power that changes life. You see, too often we fail to share with others because we think we don't have the right words when it is not the right words we need as much as it is the power of God in the words we do share. We need to remember that when we share and think we've botched it up, that God can use a less than stellar message to change lives. His power can move people to change if your words are simply yet 40 days and you will be overthrown. If your words are empowered by God, lives can be changed. Take comfort in that. Take comfort and then share God's word with those who need to hear. You see, the great thing about being God's messenger and sharing his word is that at times you get a response that Jonah got where you see this huge response, a time where it seems like, man, revival has broken out. And you would think in response to the people repenting and turning to God that Jonah would be excited. Would you think he'd be excited? I think he'd be excited. I'll guarantee you this morning, if after I preach, there's droves coming to give faith, they're turning, I'm gonna be excited. You'd think Jonah would be. But look at Jonah's response to the people repenting and turning in verse 1 of chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? 
That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. You see, Jonah was just the opposite of what we expect. Jonah, in fact, was angry. He was really angry that God did not send calamity on Nineveh. He knew that God was gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and much more. But in this case, Jonah really wanted the Ninevites destroyed. He wanted their wickedness punished. You have never felt that way about any of your enemies, I'm sure, right? You've never wanted God to just wipe them out instead of forgiving them, have you? I mean, I know you've never hoped something bad would happen to someone who did you wrong, right? None, none of us are like that. You know, unfortunately, at times, we have all been a little more like Jonah than we would like to admit. We have been all a little bit more interested in seeing our enemies suffer than to see them change in their ways and find forgiveness. And because of Jonah's action, we see God do one more thing. God reminds a messenger. God has a reminder for Jonah that begins with a simple question in verse four. Do you do well to be angry? This was a simple question meant to confront Jonah with his wrong attitude. Now, we don't have recorded Jonah's answering that question. What Jonah did in response is, he simply went outside the city and found a place to sit where he could watch over the city. I believe he was watching to see what would become of the city and actually hoping that the city would suffer the punishment of God. In response, God causes a plant to grow suddenly, and this plant is large and covers Jonah. It gives him relief from the scorching heat. Jonah's response to this plant was obviously one of gladness. I mean, he was excited to be relieved of the heat and to receive that relief from the sun and the heat. We read how the next day, though, that God sends a worm to attack the plant so that it wilted. Then follow that up with a strong east wind and a great sunny day so that Jonah became miserable in the heat to the point of fainting. Jonah basically got mad at God again, and he asked to die. God then asked Jonah this question. Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. This is the second time God asked the basic same question. He asked Jonah if he did well to be angry that the Ninevites were spared. Jonah had no response. And now he asked it in regards to the plant, all right, about the plant that gave him relief and then died. And, 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 and Jonah said, yes, I should be angry, angry enough to die. Well, I hope you see the point, all right? The point that God is trying to make and the issue at hand is this, all right? It, 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 it is, is Jonah had the wrong attitude. And look at verse 10. You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? See, there it is. God made very plain the issue. Jonah was really concerned with his own comfort and his own way. Beyond that, he was consumed with his way being right. He was more concerned about his own satisfaction than he was with the fate of 120,000 lives. Jonah was so consumed with himself that he was not able to see the heart of God, nor was he able to see the worth of other souls. His feelings may have been different if this had been Jewish people instead of Gentiles, but either way, Jonah was wrong to be self-consumed and himself with himself and not be concerned about the Ninevite people. God was trying to remind Jonah to not be selfish. And he was trying to remind Jonah that all people have worth in the sight of God, that God created every person. So every person is precious in his sight. Even if currently they are wicked people, God still loves them and wants to have compassion on them. 
Now, what is interesting is when the book of Jonah ends, there is no response to God's last question to Jonah. It is after the book suddenly and inappropriately ends. However, folks, that is not the case. It ends very appropriately, leaving us all to answer that question on our own. We realistically have to answer the question of whether we see the worth of all people or are we gonna be more concerned about our own comfort? If we're going to be worried about the souls of people or the things that we feel provide us relief or us getting our way. Think about the fact that God's word says we are sent to other people. We are his messengers. We will most likely study this in depth at the start of the new year. I shared it with you a while ago, but remember this verse again. We are told, all right, we are God's messengers. He has given us a commission to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God has told us to go into all nations and make disciples. In other words, he is sending us to be messengers like Jonah. And our message is even the same one as Jonah. Jesus demonstrated this message that we are to share when he said this in Matthew 4, 17, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God is still wanting people to turn from their sins and turn to him. And it doesn't matter where they are from. It doesn't matter how bad their life has been. God is simply concerned with a human soul, each and every one. What might be required of some of us is to do like Jonah. We might need to have God refine us. There may be things in our lives that need to change, even attitudes that need to change. Here is a place I believe it's good to consider the words of Matthew 7 where it says, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. You see, keep in mind that Jonah was in the Ninevites punished, yet didn't see his own need for grace. Could it be that we are the same? All right, reading Jesus' words in Matthew 7 reminds me, as I said before, we have a tendency to judge ourselves as right and others as wrong. We have a tendency even to believe that we deserve God's mercy, but others don't. God would say, be careful. The measure you use will be the same measure used against you. Are you harsh and condemning of your judgment of others? If so, that same level will be used against you. God clearly wants each of us to look at ourselves first. How can we take God's message of forgiveness to others if we first haven't experienced that forgiveness ourselves? I would ask some of you to consider the difficulty you are having right now in your life. Could it be that God is using that difficulty as a moment of refining? Could it be God is using your difficulty to show you that he can provide for you so that you can share what God has done for you and then take that message to others? Or could it be God is using a difficulty in your life to help bring to your attention an attitude, an action that is wrong and that is preventing you from either going to others or from being effective in sharing with others? God truly wants to refine us all so that we will walk with him more fully and that we're in a position to share the truth of his mercy and his grace with others. And let's never forget the power is in God, not in the eloquence of our message. We must never forget the truth that... that, that that, uh, so that we do not lose our dependence upon God. We must always remember we need God or else we might even attempt something God doesn't want us to, thinking, I, I've got this, I don't need to bother God with this, and it's wrong. We always need God. We always should be asking God to empower us for his glory. Then we must always remember the souls of people are much more important than our comfort. God wants us to realize that there are many people like the Ninevites. There are many who need to change their way by turning to God. We need to be more concerned about them than we are about whether we get the raise we're longing for or whether we get the particular present we asked for for Christmas or whether we get to play the sport I love this winter or whether I can buy a house this coming year. 
Our greatest concern must be about the lives of many people who still have no knowledge of Jesus Christ. And as I think about even the Christmas experience that we have begun promoting heavily today, God even gave me a reminder this week. It might even been a little refining moment in my own life. After I began to pray a prayer that God would use that Christmas experience to touch and change lives. This is important because I have to admit, all right, when, when you're planning something as large as we're doing and that's gonna take so much time, it's easy to have this attitude. I wanna get this exactly right. It's easy to have this attitude of getting caught up, of wanting people to join us for the Christmas experience and when it's over afterwards, to give us compliments as a staff. It's easy to get caught up and I want people to come back and say, man, y'all did a great job with that. Oh, that was, that was, y'all did awesome. We wanna get caught up in that and we can get caught up in all the hype and then forget this, that what is more, most important is people being reached for God's love and people being reached to let them know that God loves them. What is most important is people coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ, who is their savior. With Jesus, the one who died for the world, not for, it's him who died for the world, not any of us. Jesus is the one who had, has the power and authority to resurrect from the grave, not at us. It is Jesus who we need to be pointing people to instead of us receiving praise of people or seeking our comforts. And fortunately, we too get like Jonah, focus on our wants, our desires, our needs, and forgets that others should be our focus. We often forget that there is a world that needs Jesus while we are consumed with our own lives. Now, today as we close, please don't look at Jonah and think, this is a neat story. No, God is speaking to many here this morning. For some of you, God is simply reminding you that he loves you. You might think that you are too far gone for God, but you are not. If God loved the Ninevites enough to send Jonah to them, he surely loves you. And he loves you enough to send a friend to talk to you, to send a coworker who is reaching out to you, a family member who cares enough to have the hard conversations with you. And as Jonah said, God is a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. If you have messed up, God is not looking to destroy you. He is looking to rescue you. In fact, part of what God has called me to do is to let you know that God loves you. Hear that this morning. And if you need a change, if you need God's forgiveness, if you need rescuing from sin, I want you to come to God today. Come recognize that Jesus died for your sin and resurrected to prove that he could forgive and give eternal life. Come commit your life to him today and he can change your life. If you are ready to repent and turn to him, God is ready to forgive and restore. Now for others this morning who know God's love already, know that God is sending you as his messenger to those who need him. There is no one beyond God's love, so know that God is sending you to anyone who doesn't know him. Let's be people who share God's story. Let's be people who share God's love. Let's be people who share the hope of Jesus Christ. If today you don't think you're ready to do that, offer your life to God and let him refine you. Let God work in your life to help you be who he wants you to be. Then go share God's love with others, not because you have the power to change lives, but because God can powerfully work through you. Because let's be reminded that God cares for the spiritual lives of people more than he is concerned about your comfort. Where God wants us all to be, where God wants all of our hearts to be, is illustrated well by the words of Lottie Moon, whose name is on the offering that we promote at Christmas time to support foreign missions around the world. Here is what Lottie said. The needs of these people press hard upon my soul, and I cannot be silent. It is grievous to me to think of these human souls going down to death 
without even one opportunity to hear, of hearing the name of Jesus. Folks, God is on a mission to reach all for him. Let's be his messengers to a lost and dying world. Will you pray with me? Our Father, we bow into your presence again today, being thankful that you are a God of mercy and grace, a God of steadfast love, a God who is over abundantly a patient, a patient with us. Thank you, God, that your word reveals that. Thank you even for having Jonah's life recorded so that we might see how you called him, how you sent him, how you refined him, how you were even patient with him, empowered his meshes, how even, God, you reminded him of your love for people. And I pray, Father, today, as we've looked at his life, that we would do more than just say, neat story. But, Father, today, we would let that message sink into our hearts, that you might show us what you're trying to get us to realize, Father, whether it's some to come to know you or whether it's some to share that message, whether it's some to be refined. I pray, Father, that we would hear from you and we would respond and we, we let you change our lives so that then we would go out and share your love with others. So as we come to this invitation, God, I pray that people will respond to you as you're calling, whatever that is, to repent, give their life to Jesus, again, to submit their life to you, to say, Lord, use me, send me, I'm yours. Whatever, God, during this time, I pray folks will listen to you and respond and let your love change their life. Whoever they are, wherever they are, that you, they would let your love work in them today. And so bless this invitation. Pour your power and your spirit out because, Father, I know that your power is great and mighty and strong and you are still changing lives today. And so, Father, move amongst us and I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.